Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Well, hello and welcome to Engage for Success Radio. Engage for Success is a not-for-profit movement and we are the UK's leading voice on the topic of employee engagement. We're raising awareness, running events through our area networks around the country and our topic and sector-specific thought and action groups, developing research, publishing case studies and shining a light on great practice. Visit us at engageforsuccess.org to learn more, uh, where you can also sign up for our weekly newsletter. And I'm Joe Moffat. I'm one of the regular hosts of our radio show. Um, I'm also a managing director and founder of Woodread. Woodread is a specialist creative agency where we use the tools, the techniques and the insight-led approach of the advertising and marketing world to help our clients create great places to work, high-performing cultures of engaged employees. So today is radio show number 421, and we're going to be exploring how founders can overcome their ego. And to help us explore that particular topic, I'm very pleased to welcome uh, this week's special guest, Andrew Bartlow. Andrew is co-author of Scaling for Success, People Priorities for High Growth organizations and he has 25 years of HR and talent management experience at organizations of a, of a whole raft of range of, of sizes and shapes um, different different sizes different scales different levels of maturity and across a whole range of inter, uh, industries uh, he's also got a master's degree uh, from the top program in his field and a whole raft of um, initials as well uh, CECP SPHR Six Sigma and is an executive coaching certified practitioner so so I'm sure um, he's more than qualified to, to explore this topic with us. And it's um, my pleasure to, to welcome you to the show, Andrew. How are you today? Joe, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Good, good. Well, thank you. And, um, you know, a fascinating topic, I think, that we're going to be exploring. And I just really, before we get into it, I just, from our listeners' perspective, who's going to find this show relevant? You know, I'm, I'm thinking it's about founders, but are there some transferable learnings that people can get from this? Are there, are there things that by listening to this, people can think, actually, those characteristics are going to be, um, I recognize those characteristics in people that I work with, senior leaders, perhaps. Um, and, and therefore, you know, it's, a, it's going to be worth them, worth them staying tuned. Well, that's right. I, I think this is a sensitive but uh, important issue, um, particularly relevant to founders and, and really anyone who works with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's some relevance as well for any sort of senior business leader as, as you're managing up and, and managing uh, your leader, understanding what's going on with them uh, can mm-hmm. be really valuable. Yes, right. So it's definitely, definitely stay tuned because there's some, we're going to be some good insights coming up in the next, uh, well, just, uh, just under half an hour. So perhaps we can start, Andrew. Tell, tell us a little bit about your background. And, and I, I know I gave us a little bit of an introduction at the start, but tell us a little bit more about you know, where you've come from and, and, and what, your, what your sort of passions are for, for this area. Sure. Well, I, I appreciated the fulsome uh, uh, introduction. Uh, you, you mentioned 25-ish years of human resources experience at mm-hmm. um, glo- a number of global companies, uh, mid-caps, uh, very entrepreneurial startups as well. For the past uh, three or four years, I have stepped out of the corporate world 
out of mm-hmm. the in-house dedicated to one company uh, role, and, and now I consult and advise a range of uh, venture-backed and private equity-backed organizations and their mm-hmm. leaders. Right, right. And is that always the case, then, in terms of the work you're doing now? Are they always, um, I'm going to call them startups, but, you know, organizations that, that are either at startup or scale-up stage, but, but that are dependent upon other people's funding? Oh, it's not. It's not always. You know, certainly, you know, private companies that are bootstrapped. Um, I, I uh, engage with a few of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, where I often get uh, called in is an environment where there is rapid change, rapid evolution, and that leads to you know some some complexities. And so mm-hmm. that's when people turn to me for advice. Right. Right. I guess. I guess uh, when you when you're looking when you're working with other people's cash, and I'm using that, you know, very blunt terms, but the, the pressure's on, isn't it, in terms of delivering returns in a certain time frame, that can, that can put a level of pressure on that, that I, I will pay from my own experience as a founder of my own business some um, good few couple of decades plus ago now, because we weren't doing it with other people's money, my pressure was on myself rather than reporting to other a wider group of shareholders that must that adds a whole new a whole new dimension i'm imagining oh that's that's well said capital is like rocket fuel you know it can help <laughs> you go much faster and much further but it can also explode and, and be, be really dangerous yeah yeah I mean, it's interesting actually because I, I think i look back on those early years of my own of woodread and think we used to talk with great deal of pride about how we'd never used anyone else's money and that we did it all without any any finance and it's kind of at the time it seemed like a kind of good thing to be saying but i i kind of look back at it and think well actually it's a bit of a mixed blessing in a sense because maybe if i had had some of that rocket fuel that you're talking about then um you know where would we have gone but you know that's that's ancient history now um andrew so let, let's Let's talk a little bit about um, the last 20 months. I mean, goodness me, you know, in so many respects, the last sort of 20, 22 months have been um, you know, challenging, to say the least, for all organizations. What, what's your take on the impact that, that the pandemic's had on startups and organizations attempting to scale? Well, well, across all organizations, I, I think it has prompted a uh, reevaluation of how an organization operates uh, mm-hmm. with remote and distributed work, with meetings moving to video and online, with constant changes to you know, compliance, legal, health and safety issues, um, as well as major events in, uh, in, in the zeitgeist around social equity topics. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, mm-hmm. There's been a lot happening that has caused organizations to uh, think about the status quo uh, no longer being something that they can turn to with confidence. And that mm-hmm. reevaluation has occurred. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that adds a whole, you know, we, we, don't like, we don't like uncertainty, though, do we, as human beings? We like to be able to plan and predict and know what's coming next. And, 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 it, and it throws us a little bit when we're put onto our back foot Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and it's interesting you should, so, so there's quite a change as well in terms of the sort of organizational structures that are starting to happen as well. And not, not so much, you know, you were talking about social, 
social businesses and social enterprises and ownership models. And there's an awful lot up for grabs at the moment, isn't there? Oh, oh, certainly. Uh, B Corps, uh, social enterprises. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think about uh, remote and distributed work, uh, yeah. hybrid uh, situations. You know, employers are uh, wrestling with uh, the, the age of information, where their workers yeah. have access to so much more information and can make choices uh, based on uh, compensation and pay rates that they are aware of at competitors. Mm. Uh, they have access to reviews as to how that organization operates. Um, you know, that information is a double-edged sword for many employers in, in that we're seeing the great resignation, uh, yeah. in part due to workers reevaluating their own situation. Yes. As yeah. well as you know, lo- looking on the other side of the fence to see if the grass is greener. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, do you, do you think, from from your experience, that startups are small, you know, relatively small startup organisations um, are finding it easier to navigate the kind of the world of hybrid work than a than a more established, larger scale organisation of the kind, perhaps that you know you would. have worked for back in your earlier years is it easier are they are they inherently more agile just by the nature of, of being a startup or or do they miss out enormously by not being together and that kind of combined energy um coming to bear yeah there, there's certainly some um some relationship between size and agility you have thousands mm-hmm. of workers across many geographies and complex business units and, and hierarchy, uh, it takes more to turn the ship. Um, whereas a, a classic uh, technology uh, software as a solution you know, startup with mm-hmm. you know, 100 or fewer people, you know, relatively early mm-hmm. stage, um, mm-hmm. lower complexity can allow you to change your practices more rapidly. Uh, certainly true. Uh, mm. that, that said, I don't necessarily think it's easier for startups in, uh, in today's environment than it's been for them in the past. Although in, in a knowledge worker organization uh, where people do most of their work um, in front of a mobile device or in front of a computer, uh, remote work is more possible than it is in retail, manufacturing, um, you know, on-site services delivery businesses mm. 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 yeah interesting isn't it okay so so you've you've obviously been you've been working um in this area for, for a good few years now and you've worked with uh, and supported quite a number of, of founders so is there a can you describe for us you know a typical paint us a thumbnail of a typical founder you know what what are they a little bit of a, a little bit of a pen portrait and what it's like to work for them as a as a colleague perhaps Andrew sure sure well there um, there are a few archetypes that uh, mm-hmm. I refer to in in my book somewhat tongue-in-cheek um, yeah. the, at, at the core a founder has the animal spirit the drive of entrepreneurialism to create to make mm-hmm. something happen Mm-hmm. Um, the, the two archetypes that I refer to um, are the uh, the prophet and the mule driver. 
And, okay, uh, tell us a little again, bit about so, those then. Explain, the, <laughs> yeah, explain where they, so, how they somewhat, come about. Somewhat tongue-in-cheek, and uh, uh, yeah, I'll describe the, the prophet is um, someone who brings the vision, brings the big idea, can mm-hmm. attract the team around them, um, can effectively um, solicit capital partners and investors. So mm-hmm. that, that's their drive um, and, and their strong suit. Where the, where the profit uh, often struggles is in execution. They're the big mm-hmm. idea person, um, but they, they may often struggle with the details, uh, the execution, making difficult choices. Mm-hmm. Um, we can talk more about the, the profit in a moment. The, the mule yeah. driver, this archetype, is the uh, classic bootstrapping, um, do-it-yourself, roll-up-your-sleeves, make-it-happen uh, leader that just digs in and does the work. Uh, mm-hmm. Where they often struggle is delegating, scaling. Um, they can be hard on their teams. Um, and, and that's, that's uh, I think, the other side of the spectrum from uh, the profit. Right, right. Okay. And do they, do they, is it good when they kind of work together, Andrew? Is that, is that a magic combo? Uh, yeah. But many uh, founders that display one of these two archetypes will look for a partner or a COO or you know a, a close confident uh, confidant mm-hmm. to uh, mm-hmm. to fill in their gaps to be the yin mm-hmm. to the other's yang. Um, yeah. do, does that actually occur where there's a single founder and the the other person is is an employee partner? Uh, that's really challenging to find that that effective balance of power. Um, mm-hmm. Can can and should those two archetypes work together really effectively? Yes, but power sharing agreements um, are challenging for both. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And as somebody working with those either of those archetypes, how's how's that um, in terms of employee experience or colleague experience? How do you how how can you manage them manage upwards to them or um influence their styles sure well it it really starts with awareness understanding where that leader's coming from and boy mm-hmm. it's helpful if the leader themselves understands you know how they uh how they operate what they're motivated mm-hmm. and do, by do they sorry to interrupt you andrew but do they i mean by and large i think one gets the um impression just from the sort of headline stories that very often founders in, and it's in your title of, of this show you know over you know overcoming the ego how self-aware by and large is the typical founder yeah i'd, I'd say out of the many founders and leaders that i've worked with with there's there's usually some level of awareness of their tendencies uh their their default style and approach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In today's cult of the founder, though that style, that approach, is often um, looked to as a positive and a point of strength, whichever side of the spectrum it's on, um, yeah. rather than really being acknowledged as the, the double-edged sword that it is, um, rather than being acknowledged as a towering strength that becomes a weakness on the other side. 
So mm-hmm. awareness may occur. Um, awareness is fairly common, but usually not full acknowledgement of the of the negatives that come with some of the strengths. Okay. 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 Right. So sorry, I interrupted you. You were you were talking about it from a from a colleague experience perspective of, of interacting with and influencing either of these two sure. archetypes. Yeah, what's often really challenging for um, workers in a founder-led organization is is seeing behavior that can appear uh, counterproductive by that leader mm-hmm. or founder, um, where you have a, um, a prophet who has this great vision, a great team that has been gathered around them, and then the team can feel adrift and, and lost. And, hey, we're all here. We're ready to go but we can't seem to get anything done. Um, and mm-hmm. that can lead to cynicism about the leader. Um, mm-hmm. Similarly, in a mule driver organization, um, someone is so focused at making it happen that they can be really tough on their team, uh, fire people quickly, um, show emotive behavior, um, and the team can become disenfranchised very quickly. So just First, starting from a place of assuming good intentions and understanding that this leader is trying to make their organization successful, um, but may not have all the tools, all of the approaches fully worked out. Um, Once you start from a place of understanding that leader um, and understanding that they're they're going back to their um, primary uh, operating system, whatever that may be, you can start to understand the behavior of that leader and be less cynical, be less frustrated uh, by some of the behaviors that are natural to that particular leader. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I wonder, can you, are you able to share with us some, some stories from some of your experiences where um, You've, you've been able to help or you've seen people find ways to sort of you know, overcome the things that, that are holding them back. Sure. Um, boy, so many examples. Um, <laughs> one, one scenario, uh, I, I won't name the names of, no, no, the, of, course, of the people of course, no, or the no. organizations. Um, one situation was a visionary leader. Um, mm-hmm. more of a profit. And again, no mm-hmm. one is entirely one or the other. But, no, um, no. <laughs> gr- great motivator, incredibly kind to her team, um, really reticent to break ties, make decisions, move forward, was uh, so much more focused on collaboration and consensus. Mm-hmm. And so I was brought in to help the team unlock itself. You know, we're, we're struggling uh, moving forward. Performance was, uh, was starting to suffer. Uh, Andrew, can you help us work through this? Mm-hmm. Um, and I helped the team think about um, roles and responsibilities, driving role mm-hmm. clarity. We used a really simple, racy exercise, uh, responsible, accountable, consulted, informed. It's a you know, mm-hmm. business school tool that, yeah. uh, that identified who was responsible for what decisions and make it really clear to that leader where they needed to step in and really clear to the rest of the team where they didn't need consensus, you know, who the owner of certain decisions were. 
Mm. Um, and, and that ended up being wildly successful. Uh, got the team on the same page and overcame the leader's concern that she would be disenfranchising the team by being too directive, uh, by breaking those ties and making those decisions where not everybody agreed. Um, mm. But we know, we know in business that you won't always agree on every issue and you know, different leaders are uh, bringing different perspectives. And you know, yes. sometimes you need to make a call and move on. And that, yes. that's what that leader needed to get more comfortable doing. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting, actually. There's, um, I mean, certainly at Engage for Success, one of the, um, I, I know many of our listeners will be very familiar with this, is, is that um, the initial report that David McLeod and Nita Clark wrote as a result of a government um, commission 10 years ago now into what is employee engagement, what does it look like, and maybe what are the drivers of it that are demonstrated in organizations that have got a highly engaged workforce. One of the one of the traits that was very commonly shared is, is around employee voice and organizations, and this isn't just to do with startups by any means, it's more general, but you know, organizations do well when they listen to their people, recognizing that very often their people have got the ideas and the innovation, and that listening to employee voice isn't about surveys and you know, even quarterly pulses, it's actually about really listening to your people. And I think sometimes people get the idea that consensus or listening to employee voice almost becomes a never-endingly collaborative process that never gets to any kind of decision and it, and it just becomes inertia and and of, and of course that's a that's a misunderstanding isn't it you know what, what you've described there is that some there comes a point when people do have to make a decision and you need to have clarity about whose decision is that going to be um, but it doesn't mean that you don't necessarily listen to voices to help you come to that judgment or um, draw insights from, from different places to help you come to that judgment. So well said, Joe. And, and this is an example of a, a positive behavior that overextended can become a weakness. Mm. You know, overextending, mm. gathering input, um, uh, fostering a collaborative culture, if it moves so far to the point that most or all decisions seem to require consensus, groups are getting stuck, ties are not being broken, progress doesn't get made. Yeah. Um, so you, know, you look for that Goldilocks zone, typically. What's not too hot or too cold, too hard, too soft? Like find, find that middle ground where, yeah. uh, and that's, that's the, uh, uh, that's that's the, the fast sweet lane. Spot. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. I've not heard it called the Goldilocks zone before, but it's a lovely. I like that phrase, Andrew. I shall. Um, I'm, I'm going to remember that one. Okay. So, um, okay. So, what? What? Where else have you have you tried? To, you know, have you seen these sort of issues being un, unblocked? I mean, you talked about ego. Actually, I, I mean, this is one of the words in our title. You know, how founders can overcome their ego. Um, is that at that? Is, is, that, is ego underpinning your vision? I mean, can you be a prophet without an ego? I'm guessing probably not. Well, that, that's but your, the... e your ego could be your Achilles heel, can't it? Oh, sure. Well, it, without some ego, uh, chances are you, you as the founder would not have started your own organization, hmm. would not have risen to the top of someone else's organization. Yeah. Um, so, you, you know, ego is a component. You, you think yeah. you can 
or should uh, build something better than what what else is out there. And there mm-hmm. are you know a myriad reasons why behind that, but there's some there's some ego at play. And whether that mm-hmm. be uh, you're the prophet with the the greatest vision uh, that can that can gather the team and the and the momentum to make something happen, or whether you're the mule driver that can you know, th- themselves uh, make it happen through force of will. Um, there, there's some ego involved, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and that's real. And, and understanding that that exists, that a founder views their organization as an extension of themselves, can help others um, be a be a bit more empathic about some of the weaknesses of a otherwise very successful founder. And that, that mm-hmm. empathy, that understanding uh, can help you deal with the chaos of a rapidly changing, growing, and evolving organization. Mm-hmm. Okay. So is the, is, the, is the onus, Andrew, is the onus on the colleagues of our profits or, and or mule drivers to better understand them in order to manage them, respond to them, influence them, survive yourself? Or is the onus ah. on the profit slash meal driver to be better at understanding where they're at and their impact on others? Well, I don't think it has to be um, entirely one or the other. No. I, I think uh, uh, improvements can be, can be made from either angle. Um, mm-hmm. Understanding and awareness is useful uh, from both sides, mm-hmm. and um, and that's a good thing, right? And that you know, it, and, and a bridge sure. it often needs to be built from both banks, from both sides. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you know, if if the team is a bit uh, empathetic of what the founder is dealing with, and the founder can be both aware of their own style and some of the drawbacks that come with it then mm-hmm. you're in a much better place to find um, improvement and uh, create a healthy business and working environment than you are mm-hmm. if it's only coming from one side. Yeah. Do, do you spend more of your time, Andrew, working with the individual founders or working with the wider business that they have begun and are, are looking to scale from your own professional perspective, I mean? You know, I, I come at it really from all angles, whether it be uh-huh. you know, direct uh, coaching and advisory work for the business leader, um, mm-hmm. working with the team as a whole. Uh, but actually, the, the role that I work with the most frequently and the most deeply is usually when the business has some level of scale, call it mm-hmm. you know, 50, 100 or more employees all the way up into the thousands, uh, is mm-hmm. the human resources leader. So the, right. the internal HR leader who's helping to navigate the uh, management practices, who's the internal coach of the, of the leader and the rest of the team, uh, mm-hmm. I often serve as the consigliere uh, to that human resources leader in helping them in, navigate through it. Yeah, which I should imagine there is that point, I guess, isn't there, from that initial startup type of period, and I don't, you know, I don't know what the calendar period of that would be, but when you start to try to scale a business, um, the importance of the people 
agenda in that process means that that HR um, specialist that you're talking about acting alongside becomes absolutely crucial. Oh, the human resources roles can be so much more than payroll and benefits and mm. you know, keep us out of jail mm. with compliance mm. issues. If, if you look at that role and really expect from that role the internal management effectiveness expert on staff, boy, yeah. that unlocks a lot of potential. And instead yes. of spending a, a lot of money for short bursts of an expert outside consultant, like me, mm. um, you can you can hire someone who's in-house, who can help you on a daily basis, who who can be so much more valuable. Um, but again, you need to find someone with those skills and expect that from them. And you yeah. know, we, we really, I think, in the in the world of business, are are seeing more and more um, the the potential from the human resources role. And now it's up to the, the CEOs and business leaders to require that um, mm. because there's there's so much potential. Yeah, which which it brings us very nicely to the close. We've got less than a minute left, Andrew, and I wonder just as a one last final thought for our listeners, if there was one thing uh, that you'd like listeners to take away from having listened to you in the last half hour, uh, particularly perhaps if they're not a founder, particularly maybe if they're somebody in this HR um, space, what would what would it be? Um, as a as a human resources leader, um, understand your role is to help your organization, which is both the leader and the leadership team, uh, navigate the changing and evolving world together. You know, just so, so own in, in the that way that role. You... Yeah, sorry, go on. Own that role and understand that that is is uh, full of tremendous value. Right. So it, you use the word conciliary, that you perform that role to them. Um, they have the capacity and the potential to actually perform that role to the founders um, That's uh, right. as well. Um, great. Lovely. Andrew, thank you very much. Uh, Andrew Bartlow, uh, co-author of Scaling for Success, People Priorities for High Growth Organizations. Thank you for joining us today. It's been, it's been fascinating to hear your insights. Uh, appreciate it very much. Thank you for listening to Engage with Success Radio. And we will see you at the same time next week. And don't forget, you can download or stream any of the great shows from our archive at any time. Thank you and goodbye. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.